Welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dolapena, and on this episode, we welcome Shahid Keshvani, former Canada national team player at both under-19 and senior level, and most recently serving as the strength and conditioning coach for the Nepal men's team on their recent tours of Texas and Scotland. Shahid is also the co-host of the Dropped Again podcast, which focuses on Canadian cricket. Co-hosts it with Arsalan Kadir, the two of them both represented Canada at under 19 and senior level and he's also been involved with the global T20 Canada serving as a strength and conditioning coach for the Vancouver Knights in the past and he's on the radar for other T20 franchises as well he's done some work in U.S. domestic cricket with some of the T20 privately run tournaments that pop up from time to time on holiday weekends so he's well known on the North American cricket scene and he's also spent some time recently with Nepal so we'll talk about all those things as part of the podcast but before we do that I want to remind everybody that the stars and stripes cricket podcast is presented by dream cricket dream cricket store can help you fill up all of your cricket kit requirements anything you need bats helmets gloves pads jerseys go to dreamcricketstore.com and get 15 percent off your first order dream cricket store also offers free shipping on all orders over 200 so again go to www.dreamcricketstore.com to take advantage of that great deal today stars and stripes cricket podcast is also sponsored by moose cricket stadium the first turf wicket facility in the state of texas and they're going to be hosting the usa women's regionals starting on july 25th in Pearland, Texas, and then after that, they're going to be hosting the USA Women's National Championship beginning on August 1st. So back-to-back weeks, they're going to be hosting some major tournaments in the USA Women's Cricket scene. And for more information about Moosa Cricket Stadium, go to www.moosastadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A stadium.com. Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And also, I want to remind everybody about Crickbuster. They are the official travel agent for not just the 2000 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia, but also for Cricket West Indies for the upcoming tour of Florida and the T20Is that are going to be held in Lauderhill on August 6th and 7th. Crickbuster is the place you want to go if you're looking for premium ticket package, including match tickets, hotels, and transfer. Go to crickbuster.com today to begin planning your trip today. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I am joined by former Canada off-spinner and co-host of the very popular Dropped Again podcast. I feel like I should go upstairs and get my Dropped Again hooded jumper on just, just for you, Shady. Shahid Kishwani, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. And actually, uh, it's funny because like off-spinner is what it says and everyone goes off-spinner, but uh, I got to throw it out there real quickly. Like I'm actually like the highest domestic run scorer in like Canada so uh, I used to crush it with the bat but they just called me an off spinner so they didn't have to select me in any of the tours but uh, thanks for having me on I just wanted to clear that one up I can actually bat a little bit as well or that's that's the part of the origin of the dropped again podcast people like me giving you a bad name spreading fake news and that was going all over Canada and that's why you're hosting podcasts and being a strength and conditioning coach and uh doing all sorts of other stuff nowadays. So yeah, man. the most recent development, you were appointed strength and conditioning coach and fielding coach for Nepal. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm super excited and uh, obviously blessed, grateful to have the opportunity for sure. So it's a big opportunity 
to be part of an international cricket team, especially one that's going to be playing a whole lot of matches. I won't have a single day off. I'm actually, what's super cool about this is like, uh, first of all, obviously, Pubudu, um, my former coach for Canada, and, and obviously his name speaks for uh, for itself, especially on your podcast. But uh, we've been uh, in chats for a few months now, and, and obviously it's, uh, this is all kind of his doing and, and just wanting to get in, uh, I guess, a professional strength and conditioning coach in um, with with the Nepal boys. And um, and so that's what my, my job is, to, to go there and sort of just assess some things. Um, see if I can help out in any way and, and help these guys grow and, and help them get stronger in some areas that they might not be and look to obviously help out the staff in, in other areas and, and just get quicker and, and, and more professional and try to just grow 1% uh, every day. So I'm looking forward to, to jumping in on that. You've had a long and winding road to get to this opportunity and this job being part of the backroom staff in an international cricket setup. And that long and winding road starts in Calgary, Alberta. You're living in Toronto at the moment, but I want to talk about this. I want to seize the opportunity to, to get a chance to speak to somebody who played junior hockey. You don't get the, too many opportunities on, on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. So uh, we've got a Canadian here. And cricket was not your first love, from what I understand. So how did you go from junior hockey to cricket and how serious was your pursuit of hockey before you started to drift towards cricket obviously hockey was my uh my first sport I started playing around five or six years old and I guess like my family were kind of sort of decent athletes all the way around so I was kind of excelling in sport at a young age um soccer and hockey and decided to pursue hockey a little more just to just to confuse my dad and the family like my dad had no idea how to tie my skates or like any of the equipment or anything like that so um, just started off with sort of house league minor hockey and then realized, uh, I guess the coaches and that realized that, you know, I had a bit of potential. So yeah, I ended up moving up the ranks there pretty quickly and played at the highest level for my age group for about, uh, six to eight years there. And yeah, I man, got to like age 16, 17, where, you know, uh, I guess around 12, 13 uh, puberty hit and a lot of the guys got bigger and stronger and mustaches and that. And I definitely didn't. Um, so it was uh, a little bit behind the pump and, and in those old days, like the rules were different, right? So there was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of hitting, there was a lot of hooking and pulling and, and, and checking and cross-checking. So the sport was really rough. And um, in my draft year, um, I unfortunately tore my MCL uh, in a high school baseball, like recess baseball incident, which really set me back because, uh, you know, I was obviously out for half that season and it was the beginning of the season. And that's when you know, all the scouts are out and you're able to, to sort of prove yourself. So unfortunately, um, you know, that had me pulled back, but so meaning I wasn't going to get drafted uh, anywhere in the first five, six rounds. So I'd end up having to play junior hockey, which would have been somewhere in, not in Toronto, definitely not in Toronto. So it would have been outside. Now, when you say draft, you're not talking about the NHL draft, obviously this is for, no, draft like, for junior hockey. Yeah. So this would have been like the OHL um, OHL draft. So all players who play AAA are hoping to go there. The scholarship thing, definitely not for me. I didn't really excel in, in school, to be honest. I was always playing sports. So I uh, wasn't really getting any offers in terms of NCAA scholarships. So that was my only, only hope. And, um, you know, yeah, the, the injury obviously happened and um, I wasn't necessarily being looked at very much like with my size and, and I wasn't uh, a guy who was going to drop the gloves and fight that often. So um, I was sort of behind the pump, um, but my dad, you know, super realist and uh, former cricketer himself. Um, cricket's always been in our family and like always played cricket, Peter. Like when I was young, four years old, five years old, wore whites, went to my dad's games, tennis ball, diving around, 
knew the game inside out because it was always the topic of discussion at the dinner table, captaincy stuff and all that stuff. So definitely knew how to play, just had never played the game or a game before. Uh, and my dad just kind of convinced me that, you know, why don't you try out cricket and, you know, maybe you can see the world and, and play for Canada. So I literally like just stopped playing hockey right there and, and, and joined up uh, like the cricket, local cricket thing. I never played junior cricket. So I just played with my dad and his team. And uh, it was like that year right away where one of the prominent teams called Vikings um, had noticed me and, and brought me into their setup right away. So, yeah, to be honest, you know, the next year I was playing in the under 19 uh, Canada team. You're a member of the Toronto Cricket Club now. Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club officially is the extended title, but everybody knows it as TCC in the Toronto Cricket community. Prior to that, were you playing hockey at uh, Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club, or where were you playing most of your hockey? Because I think from memory, Eric Lindros and I don't know who else are um, members of that club, and they've had plenty of Olympic figure skating medalists. I think Kim Yuna trains yep. there, trained there, uh, the legendary figure skater of uh, South Korea. And there's a lot of legacy and just famous names and personalities in the skating community, whether it's figure skating or ice skating who are part of an, an ice hockey who who, uh, who are part of uh, Toronto Cricket Skating Curling Club. So how much of that culture were you a part of on the ice hockey side of things? Yeah, so um, Toronto Cricket Club actually just came about to me as a, as a cricket opportunity. Toronto Cricket Club doesn't have like ice hockey there. There's a lot of obviously prominent players who have come there who, who are members there. And of course, the figure skating program is the best in the world with Brian Orser. So no, like the Toronto Cricket Club stuff um, just came about basically after my my first year playing with that team called Vikings. And and there's a funny story because played for Vikings that year and, and was able, I, I was a pretty decent off spinner, as you said in the beginning. So that's how I started out and, and pretty dynamic in the field with athletic ability. So I got noticed right away by uh, John Davison and, and Joe Harris, who was the Canada captain at the time. And then, of course, the Canada coach at the time was, was Jeff Thomas and he was the pro him and John Davison were both pros at the Toronto uh, cricket club. So, um, but playing for Vikings that year, and then we had a team called the under 23 Canada team, which was playing in the league at the top level. And Jeff Thomas was the coach and the captain. So he selected me like right away and nobody knew who I was and, and, and how I was getting in this team. Uh, but luckily I kind of proved myself early on and got some wickets and kind of showed that I was a, a top uh, young player. Cause I think none of the under, under 19 guys were even getting a chance, but I was anyway, fast forward, we have a semifinal game where Vikings, my team and under 23s are facing off. So I've been playing for Vikings, you know, in all the games. So like you have to play for your club first, right? So Vikings had a game. I couldn't play for under 23s, but I managed to play quite a few games for both. So the semifinals come up and Vikings is a pure Guyanese team so we had like at that time if you know Toronto cricket and Canada cricket like every team had you know at least seven eight guys from the West Indies like if they were a West Indian team and, and there were a lot of pros so they had a great team and they decided that they weren't gonna play me in the semifinals and because I wasn't experienced enough and uh and they were gonna go with one of the more experienced guys or whatever so fair enough so uh obviously the under 23s go well I guess you can play for us and and there was a huge fiasco in the in the board and the TND, the lead board, like he can't play, he can't play. Ultimately, it came down to my dad because I was an under 19, uh, just a junior. So my dad said, you know, yep, I'm fine. He's he's gonna play for under 23. He just wants to play cricket or whatever. So yeah, so um basically I got a fifer in that game and 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 was the man of the match in that game. And and um under 23s beat Vikings and it was a big upset and all. And um at the end of the game, it was basically like, all right, well. 
you know, I'm going to be playing for Toronto Cricket Club next year because they had offered me a, a kind of a, a scholarship sort of ride there to, to play there. And, and that was history, man. It was as simple as that. My, my dad and, and sort of everybody just kind of said, you know what, you're getting an opportunity to play at the best club in, in North America on turf, 10 strips, amazing coaching staff, national players in the team, and, and, and that, the rest is history. So I've been at the Toronto Cricket Club ever since I was, that would have been uh, when I was 18 years old. And that move sort of was at the exact same time as, as when uh, the, the Under-19 World Cup sort of setup was for me. And, and I, I went to, to India, to Delhi, uh, for about six to eight months before that Under-19 World Cup to train. So that's the story about Toronto Cricket Club. And, and yeah, man, I've been there ever since. I've got a few more hockey questions. I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more because yeah. I grew up playing ice hockey and that was my number one sport all through my youth. And I feel like there's a hell of a lot of things that transition from ice hockey to cricket. I get really annoyed when people keep trying to force baseball comparisons and uh, say, oh, you know, oh, you, you, you're an American. You must play baseball and you can you you look like a baseball when you play cricket. I'm like, no, I, I stopped playing baseball when I was 10. I played ice hockey a hell of a lot longer than baseball and things like the technical aspects. People just superficially, yeah, oh, baseball's got a bat and so does cricket and they've got a ball. Right. Yeah, they're the same. No, they're not. They're played on different planes. And for me, the, the two sports I played longest, I stopped playing baseball competitively when I was 10, but um, cricket and ice hockey and cricket and tennis, I feel like are a hell of a lot more similar because you've got tennis, the ball is coming off of bounds, cricket, you're playing off of bounds. So the surface matters a hell of a lot, just like the surface in tennis, whether you're playing on a, a grass court, a clay court or a hard court, the speed of the ball off the, the surface and how it reacts and how much it spins is just like cricket in terms of the variances of a cricket pitch and all that. But ice hockey, in terms of how you're handling the stick, the grip on an ice hockey stick, it's your, you got a top grip and then your hand, other hand is about halfway down. And I felt like when I was learning cricket, everybody who tried to tell me, oh, just swing like you would a baseball bat. All that did was make me more and more confused. I couldn't understand what the hell they were talking about. And a lot of these people were saying this clearly had never played baseball before. And what, what changed my mentality when I was first learning cricket, I was watching an India versus Pakistan test match. I forget the venue, but it was when Irfan Patan took three wickets. I think he took a hat trick in the first over. And then Cameron Akmal scored a century to lift Pakistan back into the match. This would have been January or February, 2006. And um, they showed Cameron Akmal batting from the stump mic. And from that angle, the way he was holding the bat, all of a sudden something clicked in my head and said, wait a second, I've been doing this wrong for the last six months. I've been trying to learn cricket. I should be holding my bat like I would hold an ice hockey stick. I played baseball right-handed. Everybody kept on telling me, oh, just swing a cricket bat like you would a baseball bat. And so I, I started right-handed when I was first learning cricket. And then I looked at Cameron Akmal and I played ice hockey left-handed. Uh, let me let me turn this around and just the the top hand the top hand uh for ice hockey top hand and cricket would would be i'm right-handed and everything else but ice hockey was left-handed so i thought let me switch this around because this makes more sense and i'd switch my stance to left-handed and same thing with tennis racket if playing tennis i'm right-handed tennis so i hit right-handed forehands like this but on my backhand you grip the backhand a two-handed backhand like you would if you're a left-handed <laughs> ice hockey yeah. shot yeah yeah and so very next training session i turned myself around started batting left-handed and 90 to 95 percent of my technical issues went away immediately all of a sudden i could start playing 
with a straight bat a lot more confidently. My defense was a lot more compact instead of where I was right-handed. I was, I was coming down diagonally. I couldn't get a, a straight bat. And all these things, I feel like transferred a hell of a lot more technically from ice hockey and from tennis to cricket than from baseball or any other sport. And I'm curious for you, growing up with this extensive ice hockey background, basically all through youth, your youth, uh, you say you started as an off spinner and you now you're a dominant scorer in, in the in the TDCL and all that. But batting wise and just some of the other fielding aspects and just lateral movement, um, ability to just, again, baseball is a very stationary game when you're swinging the bat, just one step forward. Whereas ice hockey, tennis, there's a hell of a lot of agility and footwork and moving back and forth having balance and transitioning your, your weight onto front foot and back foot. If you're skating backwards, skating forward, all these kind of things. Yeah. So who better to ask you as somebody who, who shares this ice hockey background for you as an ice hockey player in your youth, what were the things that you felt transferred best to cricket that allowed you to have such an accelerated level of success very early on in your cricket career? Yeah. Um, you kind of answered some of those questions there. Like, um, with regards to tennis and, and, and hockey and cricket being very similar, hundred percent agree. And like when I started playing cricket and they, every time they let me bat, you know, I'm, I'm hitting everything because my hand-eye coordination is really good, but I'm hitting, hitting everything to the leg side. And that was at a time where like there was T20 cricket wasn't around. So like you come in and you're like, Oh, this guy can't play, you know, with his elbow and bat and pad together and all that sort of stuff. So I'm like, Oh, you can't bat. You're, 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 you're down the order guy. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess, that's cool. But like everybody's blocking it and I'm smashing them. So what's going on here? So that's what happened with that. And then, you know, it took me a long time to figure out the technique for cricket that would appease sort of the, the, the selection, the, the, like those who are judging you based on your, whatever it is, right? Like, so obviously the game wasn't what the game is now um, back then. So that's that. And, and I think what helped you there was figuring out the, the sort of the grip is, is a huge uh, it was a, or was a huge reason, sorry, why I was so bottom handed, even to this day, like most of my runs are scored on the leg side and like Faf Dep Duplessis and these guys who were, who were, uh, excelling in field hockey, you know, I'm batting outside off stump. And if anything pitches in line, I'm going to probably play straight. And otherwise, you know, if it's in my zone, like I'm kind of looking to go leg side. So that, that was the difference in that in terms of technique, but from an agility perspective and, and, uh, and I guess if in that strength and conditioning department and how relatable it is. Yeah, for sure. Like hockey is such a hip dominant sport. It's such a lateral, you know, agility with things like mobility and, and the stability required to obviously do what they do on skates of all things. Um, you know, everyone else is doing them on shoes. So that's why I think ice hockey, uh, if you ask me, is the toughest game to play, um, you know, in the, in the world from a, from a team perspective. But tennis also uh, adds in that obviously the lateral and the bouncing thing, but also the overhead factor to it right like in tennis you have to serve overhead and it becomes an overhead sport which means the demands on the on the shoulder joint and then obviously demands on hip and then with cricket especially it's the demands on the ankle right so a lot of those those three joints are things that i, I focus on a lot in my training and, and and how i sort of subscribe and prescribe training for for cricketers and for athletes in general is uh, is to really look at those three joints and focus on the the mobility and and stability restrictions and then uh, and then look to strengthen those things so yeah they're they're so relatable and i use everything that i knew as a hockey player and my ability to just know different sports and, and be a fan of sports in general like i i'm the ultimate sports guy man like i played every single sport outside when i was a kid um you're talking baseball road hockey on rollerblades you know soccer diving around as a goalkeeper who, who didn't want to be goalkeeper in the 
1994 during that soccer world cup like uh you know the the flashy bright soccer gloves and stuff diving like i thought it was brazilian i thought it was the brazilian goalie so those that's the reason why uh, i guess uh, the all-round fielding capabilities that i had uh, and the ability to pick up the game at a obviously really late in my life um from the off spinning and the bowling and the fielding and the batting perspective was just the fact that i played multiple sports and i guess it kind of helped a little bit that i was naturally like uh, coordinated and, and had some kind of athletic ability. Mentioned street hockey there. I played a hell of a lot of street hockey. I think everybody oh. who plays ice hockey plays street hockey growing up. And the thing about that too is whether you're you're playing on rollerblades or you're playing just on your feet with street hockey, depending on how you're doing it. Um, all the street hockey I played growing up was with a tennis ball. Yeah. And so with that, again, the tennis balls, it's generally speaking, it's it's not always moving flat along the ground. You're gonna have a lot of those bounces in, in street hockey yeah where the tennis ball is bouncing you got to be able to control the ball and hit the ball while it's bouncing and um i, f- I feel like that transfers as well that uh yeah you, you've got a round ball that's bouncing them down and you're playing on that plane you're playing yeah. on a, a plane where um you've got to be able to hit the ball while it's bouncing and if there's if you're playing on smooth uh road service or you're playing on a little bit bumpy service you gotta yeah. adjust for all that stuff and i feel like that comes into cricket uh yeah. and helps that as well now what position did you play when you were an ice hockey player so i shoot right-handed but i was a left winger i played on the offside because my game was all passing set up so like even on power play i'd be on that uh, other side wall and and um, i just like playing on that side so it's always on my backhand you know obviously going down the left wing but when i would cross the blue line, you know, I put on the brakes and, and look for that pass. And, and I guess I excelled in that and was able to play, you know, some pretty decent triple A hockey through my, through my minor career. And yeah. And would obviously sometimes have to fight, which was great and fun, but uh, it, it definitely didn't, that didn't translate well to, to cricket when I, when I brought that attitude, that level of compete to, to the cricket circles, especially early doors in my first couple of years, like I'm sledging adults, right. And like chirping them and, and all kinds of stuff, which made me, I guess, you know, a little bit more successful as a bowler because guys just hated me, wanted to hit me out of the ground. And I just kind of throw up a, I, I loved Sock Lane and Shane Warren. So my bowling action and the way I bowled was a combination of Suck Lane because I bowled off spin, but I would walk in like Shane, Shane Warren and just try to rip it. And that, that was my two heroes with John T. Rhodes in the field because I, I just fell in love with cricket after watching the 1999 World Cup. And those guys were prominent in that World Cup. And you say that was a, a turning point for you falling over that World Cup. But you also mentioned before your dad was a cricketer who played for Kenya. Dad is from Kenya originally before coming to Canada. And he played in the 1970s as a scorecard. I pulled up your dad, Fayez. Kenya and Tanzania and the East African Quadrangular in October 1975. And it also involved Uganda and Zambia. So Kenya, Uganda, Zambia, and Tanzania. And in this match... Batted number three, scored 108, top score, scored more than half the runs, 108 in innings of 203 all out. And then he winds up taking 10 wickets in the match, opens the bowling in the, in the reply, three for 26. And then in the fourth innings in the chase, Tanzania was set. They were set 247 to win. And your dad took seven for 40, again, opening the bowling to bowl them out for 103 in what – would be, I believe, I guess, 143 run win. So your dad has uh, some pedigree going back to his years with Kenya, but 
ice hockey was obviously the first sport you played. So it doesn't sound like your dad ever pressured you into playing cricket. So if your dad wasn't pressuring you and you weren't really seeing your dad as somebody who was really leading you into the game, then, then what was it specifically besides having this life-altering injury mm-hmm. that really sucked you into cricket as opposed to any other sport that was still kind of on your radar? Yeah, no, like for sure. Like, so um, obviously, yeah, my dad is, is definitely my hero. Uh, and cricket was always, like I said, the, the talk at the dinner table. So, you know, my grandfather was a huge cricket guy and my uncle. So, you know, we were brought up as kids and, and luckily, you know, my cousins, um, there was th- four of us boys who lived kind of in the same house and we all lived together in Mississauga when we moved from Calgary. So the talks at the dinner table were always around cricket because it's my dad, my grandfather and stuff. So we were engulfed in a very detailed cricket environment. Like, you know, so much to things that like when I'm, you know, seven, eight years old, like I know that if a guy comes in and he's really holding this cricket bat like this, then you need this midwicket to stand here with a helmet on. And this is how we set guys up with leg gully and, and uh, you know, all that stuff. So my dad was, uh, and obviously still is my, my hero. And so he, never like so again so we're a huge sports family so when you say like we weren't pressured into things like whatever sport you play like you we were pressured in that sport so like my dad you know hockey and soccer like especially in the in the hockey department uh he was uh, always on my ass um making sure that you didn't play well you didn't do this well you didn't do that well but to keep it simple about you know dad and sports and and what parents do um you know he he was a single father. My mom passed away when I was about four years old. So he was a single father who, who sacrificed his life. And if you think about it, if he scored 108 and took 10 wickets in a match in 1975, he was a walk-on, a, a shoe-in for the 1975 World Cup, which he declined to, to move to Canada, actually. So he, he, from that time, sacrificed his life to obviously have a better opportunity. Um, but when it comes to me, sacrifice his life to, to take me to, to my hockey and, and like hockey, I'm talking about six days a week. Um, you're talking about, you know, evenings pretty much most times. And he would work downtown. We would live in, in Oakville, Ontario. So it's far. So you're talking about a guy who goes to work, you know, eight to five, picks up his kid, takes him to hockey and he's there at the rink until 10. So my dad for 15 or odd 15, 20 years of his life, ate, ate like hot dogs for dinner, you know, drank Coke and hot dogs from the, from the canteen at the rinks. And, and so that's the sort of sacrifice that, that he made as a parent and, and um, you know, when, when he sort of advised me to, to take up cricket and, and really push me towards that, it was at a time where he was at the 1999 World Cup in England. He was watching with some buddies and, and we had the pay-per-view box at home. Remember the pay-per-view box where sometimes it went, you'd have to hit it a little bit and then it would go like it wasn't the legal one. That's for sure. We couldn't afford that, but it was, uh, it was the, uh, you know, the old one where you had to give it a couple of knocks and, and, you know, when we were kids, right, you're trying to not watch those channels, you're trying to watch the sports channels. So we're flipping back and forth as, uh, as, uh, as mischievous young kids. But I was engulfed right away by the, the Pakistan green, the lime green and, and sock lane um, and Wasim Akram and them. And then, of course, the, the shiny yellow um, caught my eye with, with Australia and how, how dominant they were in that tournament. So that's what happened, man, is just like, it all came together at that time and it all made sense. And I'm like, man, I, I like cricket and I'm going to go and make the best Shane Warren, Jaunty Rhodes, Suckling sort of uh, cocktail, <laughs> if you will, um, and made it happen from there. And that was that. So you get sucked into cricket 
through a combination of your dad and the 1999 World Cup. And as you said earlier, by 2004, you're playing for Canada in the Under-19 World Cup. When you were on the pathway towards representing Canada Under-19 and going to the Under-19 World Cup in 2004, did you have any concept at the time that being able to play at TCC was a big deal in the sense that it's essentially, in my opinion, it's the best facility in North America, cricket and all the other stuff that goes with it. I mean, for people who haven't visited, I definitely recommend going up there if they let you in the door. It's a very, very uh, hoity-toity, high society club there. I don't don't know how they let me in. I don't know. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, again, you've got gold medalists, Olympic gold medalists, yeah. Yeah, wandering around with uh, the skating program and you've got a yeah. Olympic swimming pool and you've got magnificent banquet venue rooms and I'm I would imagine they hold weddings there regularly. It's that kind of place where you would have yeah. large crowds. But in terms of cricket facilities, turf wicket, you don't come across a lot of those in Canada or North America in general. You've got this well-maintained turf wicket and you're getting a chance to play in it on a weekly basis. Did you have any concept of that at the time as a teenager like oh i'm getting to play on the best facility in canada and while everybody else in bc and the western provinces is playing on matting and artificial turf and they're not getting the same opportunities as me or were you just thinking like oh everybody plays on these kind of wickets to be honest like i was pretty like i'm a really intuitive guy so like as soon as i got into cricket i was really into it like i started to meet the guys from bc and i started to look around and see what's going on and i would watch other games and stuff like that and to be honest man like I felt like at that time, like I was, I was amongst the best players in Canada, so I should be playing there. So I, I kind of really fit in there right away. Whereas like, I believe it was myself. Uh, I'm not sure there was too many young guys who would sort of play or make the, the A team of the Toronto Cricket Club at that time. And at that time, you could only be recruited there. So you couldn't really sign up and just join up if you wanted to. So it was uh, prominent. Like, I mean, Ashish Bagai was there. John Davison was there. Joe Harris was there. Jeff Thomas, Ruben Sarkari. There was there's so many guys who, who were, who were sort of, uh, you know, top, top guys at that time. Um, but I guess with my attitude and confidence, you know, I just kind of fit in there and, and like I was performing um, really well in the league and, and I made a name for myself just through performances um, uh, right off the bat. And obviously I was different and, and, and it was the cricket club that it, it took the cricket club, like guys like Jeff and John Davison and Zubin, who were the only guys who kind of understood me being a, a Canadian born, I guess, Indian looking kid with the name Shahid, who's supposed to be this like Indian Muslim guy who's supposed to be able to know the language. And I'm like, I don't know language. Uh, you know, my parents are from Kenya, right. And I'm born in Canada. So I could chirp, I could chirp guys like I would in, in hockey and just start getting out there. So I know I made a lot of enemies early on, but I played really hard when I was inside that rope. I played really hard. I was a winner and, 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 and loved to compete. And, when the game was done and off the field, you know, I was young and I liked to have fun. So I didn't, I didn't really fit into the Toronto cricket club uh, inside the doors, I guess, after the games, I was more outside doing my thing and just enjoying life as a, as a teenager at that time. So man, to answer your question, like I was on top of the world at that time, bro, playing for the club, um, being in the national squad, as well as the under 19 squad and rubbing shoulders with those guys on a regular. And, and I guess like just getting, getting good players out, right? Consistently getting good players out. You're getting the top guy out. Okay, that was a fluke. Well, is this a fluke? Is this now a fluke? How many times? I, so 
you know, I, I fit in right away and, and felt that, that that's where I belong. So it was, um, it was really nice. I never, uh, never took it for granted. Cause I, I did work hard, man, as a player, um, you know, I was always at training and worked hard on my game, loved the game, like really passionate about the game and, and, and love to compete. And unfortunately in my tenure, uh, you know, I, I captained the cricket club for many years. I coached and played for the cricket club for many years and, uh, yeah, we never we never won a championship, man. That's the one thing that Toronto Cricket Club at the top level uh, hasn't been able to achieve. And um, unfortunately, I don't know if if I'm going to have too many more seasons left playing uh, with my new career. So I think I might have missed the boat on that one. But, you know, that's how it goes. Now, I'm looking at your stats. 2003 ICC America Under-19 tournament with Argentina, Cayman Islands, USA, and Bermuda. Now, according to the official stats listed on cricket archive you did not take a single wicket yeah you got your cousin abid who was a teammate of yours he took three wickets you had umar bati who had a fairly distinguished career for canada senior team he was one of your teammates that he was the leading wicket taker with nine wickets and he took six for ten as his best performance you had also other guys there people might recognize trevin bastianpoli who played yep. for quite a number of years duran serene as well played for the senior team for Canada. So you had a fairly decent group of guys. How do you go from taking no wickets in the regional qualifier to taking a five wicket haul against Bangladesh in the world cup itself? Yeah. So like basically that America's tournament was just like almost to the point where it's like, all right, well, we'll just let these guys sort of do the job. And and, and I think we just steamrolled everybody to the point like Umar, if Umar got nine wickets in the tournament, like, no offense, like USA was nothing back then. There was no team that challenged us apart from Bermuda, I think, the last game or whatever, where we, we were kind of under the pump. We were clearly way better than everyone else. And and, uh, and just, just and, to get in um, here, for people who are, are listening yeah. from America, when you say USA was not there, you're not kidding. And that event, USA lost yeah. to Argentina. So that yeah, tells yeah. you where USA was in the grand scheme of things at the junior level at that point in time. Yeah. And Canada was far and away the dominant under 19 team in the region yeah yeah so like we we were already a shoe in um and right after that tournament we qualified and we went to guyana and we played in the west indies regional so i think i can't remember my memory is not the best but i think like after that tournament uh, i might have been playing a game like for my my club team that's like the same day as one of the games because we won it so quickly uh but i can't remember but then from there man it was like we were thrown into the deep end for sure because we went to guyana uh, to play in the West Indies regional tournament where, you know, I know you're a stats guy, so you're probably going to fish through that now, but myself, uh, Soham Anjaria and Karun Jethi were in the top five wicket takers of that tournament. We, we were really successful in that. And those two guys were awesome players as well. I mean, we had a really good team and should have done a lot better in the under 19 world cup, but I think maybe pressure and, and uh, well, I guess Bangladesh was a bit different for, for us at that time, but um that was the real cricket. And unfortunately the America's tournaments at that time were like, it was um, yeah. Like you said it, right. Like Argentina beat USA and stuff. So it wasn't really much of a competition. That's the reason why I guess I didn't really play it too much of a role. Just to give people an idea of the players you were coming up against in that Guyana tournament uh, or sorry, in the, in the West Indies regional tournament that was in Guyana, but just the, the standard of player and, and your contemporaries at that point in time. So in the Guyana squad, it was captained by Asad Fudadin. You had Devendra Bishu in that team as well. In the uh, Barbados team, Kirk Edwards opened the batting and he played test cricket for the West Indies. You had Leeward Islands, Kieran Powell, 
open the batting for them. You look at Jamaica, Xavier Marshall was a dominant player, junior level and at senior level. Big time. Obviously, obviously went on to play for the West Indies, and uh, now he's with the USA. Everyone knows that. Who has fallen associate cricket in North American cricket? Chadwick Walton was the Jamaican wicketkeeper. You had Chris Marcianzoki, who took a long time to get there, but he's in the West Indies senior side as well. What do you remember about that event in terms of taking on some of those players, especially someone like Xavier Marshall, who he debuted for the West Indies senior team when he was 19. So at junior level in that event, he would have been perhaps the elite premier batsman that you would have been facing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bucky, as as we would call him back in those days, or he was known back in those days, was totally, totally dominant as a player. Loved his style too. It was very, I think everybody knows Xavier. He's calmed down a lot now, but uh, we we got along really well as just kind of, you know, guys who were not exp- uh, not afraid to express themselves. So um, definitely got on well with him. And uh, as for that tournament, man, like I got a fifer, like just coming off that fifer in that league thing and, and then winning that thing, I, I got a fifer against Barbados uh, and we actually beat them in first innings um, in Guyana. Uh, I remember getting Kirk Edwards and, and a few of the other guys, but I took a fifer in that game and we won actually won first innings against Barbados, which was, which was massive. Joel Garner actually, uh, I had a presentation with Joel Garner or whatever, and he had a little chat with me after and, and he was watching and, and, and had some really nice things to say at that time. And, and uh, the funny story is like, I did this whole thing with Joel Garner and, and, and everything was cool. And then I went up to one of my teammates and I'm like, man, that guy's huge. He should have played cricket. Like he should have, he would have been fast. And he's like, buddy, that's, that's Joel Garner. Like he kind of played a little bit. You don't know anything about cricket, man. You're just a hockey player. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. And then I looked him up and I'm like, oh my God, man, I'm so out of my league right now. But that was it, man. Like being engulfed in that, um, literally one year from playing hockey, man, I was in Guyana doing that, playing that and against so many good players. And we we had a good team. Like we had good players in that 19 Canada setup. We had a lot of good players. So we actually didn't do too badly there in Guyana, but we should have done a lot better in the under 19 World Cup with that team we had. But, you know, that's uh, that's how it goes. Five for 19, you took against Barbados. Five for 19. This is August 6, 2003 in Enmore, Guyana. And this kind of sums up associate cricket in the early 2000s. Shady, that is literally the only scorecard from that event that does not have complete scorecard. It just says five for 19. doesn't show who you got out. So who who do you remember? Can you remember the five? Oh, like I just remember uh, Kevin Stout, Kirk Edwards. Um, those are the two that I remember, man. Like, because again, at that time, like, dude, I didn't know who's good, who's not good. I really didn't follow cricket like that to the point where, to my fault, like I never go and look at these things and go back. Yeah, actually, a few months ago during COVID and stuff, I was so bored. I was in Seattle. I was so bored that I went and looked at the under nine because the under 19 World Cup was going on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a five for against Bangladesh. And so I went and looked at that scorecard and then I'm like, oh, like I got Mamadula and like uh, uh, Anamo Hawk and these guys. And I was like, oh, these guys are test players. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I was feeling good, for my, good about myself for a bit. Took myself to Jack in the Box, got an extra spicy chicken after that and, and felt good. Posted it on my IG, got a few likes. So that was great. But um, yeah, like uh, that, that West Indies tour was my first regional, uh, West Indies regional tour. And those are hard tours. Like we played a one day, uh, three day tournament first, and then a one day tournament right after that. So it was a lot of cricket. And, um, I just, <laughs> I just remember being, uh, in, in the barracks, like we were in a, in a, I guess like a hotel motel sort of thing. And, and um, I just remember there was no AC, it was just windows. So I remember some of my teammates, I think Umar Bati was one of them. And you know, you go into his room 
and he's just got his legs up and there's like this fan just blowing on his legs because he's got like the chafing like the under the, the, the underwear chafing and stuff so he's just got his legs up and there was like a few guys like that and they're just like dying it was so hot and there was no ac so i loved every minute of it man i was fresh and i was super fit and excited at that time so that was a, an amazing experience uh playing against some really good players and and that you know that west indies regional and the west indies team that was formed uh for the under 19 world cup i believe they lost in the finals if i'm not mistaken xavier marshall scored i think 400s in that tournament and um yeah it was uh it's weird how he didn't get more of a goal but obviously we know kind of why and i think i'm no different i guess the the, the what i say now because cricket has evolved and sports have evolved so much that these are just guys like myself and him who were just misunderstood at that time under a, a, a certain, I guess, disciplinary code of, of a very old school mentality. So, um, you know, nowadays they, you look at these professional teams and they're looking for the guys who express themselves a lot. Like, like Rinku Singh is just an example because I watched him yesterday. Um, just a guy who's always there, you know, enjoying himself. And it would almost seem like, oh, this guy just fools around or whatever. But if they can take what they see and what is, what is shown on the ground, uh, and ignore sort of what happens off field and how somebody wishes to sort of go about their business and stuff. It's fine. Um, but you know, I get it. We were under 19 kids apparently at that time. So it, it was what it was, but uh, shout out to Xavier Marshall um, still kind of doing it and still scoring and still, you know, keeping his name in the hat with, with USA cricket. I know they want to get rid of him and get rid of some guys, but uh, hopefully he can keep up there, man. Like I, I, you know, I got a lot of buddies. I got a lot of friends in, in us cricket on both sides, MLC and, and the U.S. team. And, um, you know, I, I obviously support all of them as, uh, as, as a friend. You mentioned some of the names came up against. I'll, I'll run through the list. You, you were the leading wicket-taker for Canada in that Under-19 World Cup in 2004. Nine wickets overall in the tournament, including that 5 for 29 against Bangladesh. I'll go through some of the scorecards to give, it, again, a sense of who you were coming up against. You played Australia. That was uh, your first game that you played. And that Australia under-19 team was captained by Tim Payne and also featured Adam Crossthwaite, who was a long-time first-class player for Victoria. Moses Enriquez. Stephen O'Keefe was also in that side. You took one wicket, a guy named Ken Skews. He batted number four for Australia in that game. You took one for 20 in that match. Against Sri Lanka, which featured Nuan Kulasekara, who took a five-wicket haul against Canada. Yeah, he crushed us, man. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> you, yeah, you he bat- crushed us. You batted at three. You were into the fire in the first over because he took two wickets in the first over. So you were at three. Trevin Bastianpoi at number four, top scored with 20. Uh, Canada all out for 81 in that game. But uh, Upal Taranga, Farviz Maharouf was the captain. Uh, Kulasekara. Wasn't new one Kulasekra? I'm looking. For no, it was uh, Kosella. Kosella Kulasekra. Yeah, Kosala Kulasekra, who also yeah, played yeah. for Sri Lanka. So yeah, Kosala all... Kulasekra, five for twenty-seven. Kaushal Silva, Angelo Matthews. There's some not stacked bad. teams. Just uh, just a few decent guys here and there. Not, yeah, not bad <laughs> at all. Yeah, tough part for us with that tournament, man. We lost every toss, and the games are at nine thirty, and we got put in, and it was like green and wet and. You know, not no excuses, but like we we'd never seen like when that when Kulasekras spell, uh, Moses Enrique spell. Like when I batted against Moses Enrique's, I left one and and it nipped back so much and my off stump went tumbling and um, 
unfortunately, my uh, my my cousin uh, Abed was our was our top batter, um, and he had uh, COVID. No, no, not COVID. <laughs> Probably had COVID at that time. Like he was really sick. God, um, he got and, took and, that yeah. uh, Marty McFly time machine. He was going, yeah. going back in the DeLorean. Oh man, I felt so bad because I was super sick in the warm up games, so I never got to play in the warm up games, and I I just said I'm playing against Australia, and I was still sick, so toughed it out but he was like we shared a room and everything so he was done and out he, he missed the first two games and then he came back uh when he was feeling just barely better like we're we're catch vannies man we're warriors man we we were sick man he still played he played against zimbabwe and he made, what did he make man like 78 or 79 or something against a, a stacked zimbabwe team like though all those guys played test cricket i think for for zimbabwe this might be the are you with the most impressive team yeah in terms of yeah. future, future success at senior level so he top scored in a total of 180. Your cousin Abid scored 63 out of that total. 63 off 107 yeah. balls, eight fours, and a six. Go. And he was eventually bowled by Prosper Utsayam. And then you look at the rest of that Zimbabwe team, almost everybody played at men's level in terms of senior international cricket. Brandon Taylor opened the batting. And then you've got Sean Williams batting at number three, Tina Mawayo, who was the captain, Craig Irvine, Elton Chigumbura, Colin to Granholm. Before he went off to New Zealand, he was part of Zimbabwe. Dude, they were uh, so good. you could argue that maybe toss it between him and Brendan Taylor. But be- before um, he went off to New Zealand, you could argue the best player who was in that Zimbabwe under 19 side didn't even play yeah. for Zimbabwe senior level. Yep. Graham Creamer, future Zimbabwe men's captain. Ed Rainsford and Tanashi Panyangara. Ed Rainsford. Yep. Now he was doing GT20 commentary. Is he? But is yeah. he in Philadelphia? Where is he based? I don't know anything about Rainsford. I just thought that he was a pretty decent commentator. Like I kind of liked his work. So I don't know. I don't know where he is. I don't know where these guys are, but that Zimbabwe team was awesome. They beat Australia. They went through to the next round as well, if I'm not mistaken. You didn't take any wickets in that game. You lost by eight wickets, but there were, there were a lot of runouts in that game. Take us through. You were one of the runouts. Sean Williams ran you out for two. Take us through that, that rest of that game. What, what, what do you remember from it? Oh, I just remember the old yes, no, and then I just remember blaming the other guy like everyone else does at that age. <laughs> but I was gutted, man. I wasn't scoring any runs, and I, I, like I said, I always backed myself to be a batsman, and they gave me a chance in that World Cup, as you could see in the other scorecards as under-19 guy, like no chances to bat either. And it, it was my trip to, uh, to Delhi. I actually spent like eight months in Delhi before that World Cup uh, with like Sonnet. So like the reason why I had a pretty decent tournament bowling, I'll tell you, was because for – three for four months straight and i'm not joking every day monday to friday i would bowl at uh, at gotham gambir for three hours every day me and amit mishra if you know yeah obviously everybody knows amit mishra but me and amit mishra as spinners would literally bowl at gotham gambir every day for four months straight and uh the, our coach was uh, sanjay bardwaj who's a coach of the lb shastri academy where those two players are from and that's what I, where, where I would be practicing. And then in the weekends, I would get, I would go and train with uh, Sonnet Cricket Academy in Delhi, um, where I'd get to work on, on batting. So at Sonnet Cricket up there, there's like Ashish Nera and Akash Chopra and Shikhar Dhawan and uh, Milan Kumar. If you know Milan Kumar was in the, in the camp now, I would have been a, a, a little kid at that time, but he comes from that same, same academy. So it was the, the time in India, man, like just playing amongst some really good players and, and good coaches and stuff that, I think helped me and my cousin Abid was with me in India as well. So, you know, those trips for, for associate, you know, countries, especially like Canada, it was the middle of the winter um, and those trips and, and just being exposed to that level of cricket really helped us as, as young athletes, because I'd have to say that talent wise, you know, and, and athletic ability, like my cousin and I were, were right up there. And if we, 
I guess we're exposed to that sort of uh, cricket on turf more consistently from a younger age. And then after that under 19 World Cup, I think we could have done wonderful things for, for Cricket Canada. But what happened was after that under 19 World Cup, regardless of my cousin being the highest uh, run scorer and me being the highest wicket taker, we were nowhere in any sort of senior Canada team's interest by any means. And, and my cousin, Abid, as a result of that, just stopped playing cricket because he lived in Calgary at the time. And unfortunately, there was no turf wickets in Calgary. And for my cousin, it was, you know, I'm either going to play like proper cricket or, or I'm not interested. So he he gave up, man, at age 20. And, and it was really sad to to have him go through that while while I maintained a, a career um, sort of in the backgrounds of, of domestic cricket in, in Toronto. And then uh, and obviously here I am today. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Store can help you fill up all of your cricket kit requirements. Anything you need. Bats, helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, and more. Go to DreamCricketStore.com now and get 15% off your first order. Dream Cricket Store also offers free shipping on all orders over $200. Again, go to www.DreamCricketStore.com to take advantage of that great offer today. This episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now the first ODI accredited venue in the Lone Star State, located at 5515 McKeever Road, County Road 100 in Pearland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Musa also has two nursery grounds on the north side of the stadium boundary available for use. For more information, visit www.musastadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A stadium.com. Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Crickbuster. Based in Florida, Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia. If you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, stadium tours, or want to organize other sightseeing activities down under this October, Crickbuster is a one-stop shop for all of your touring needs. Visit www.crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. And now back to the episode. I want to ask you about that. Before going, but I just want to go through the rest of the under nineteen World Cup uh, yeah. scorecards, including that Bangladesh game, which was the next game. But I, you kind of touched on something there. I've come across this with other people. I've experienced it personally. I said I stopped playing baseball at ten. Why did I stop playing baseball at ten? I was always very good for my age, and I made the league all star team, our tribal little league all star team that's supposed to be on the pathway to the little league World Series. I made the all star team. I, I hit. I don't know how many home runs that year as a 10 year old, which was not easy. I was pretty strong for my age and was really good. Best player on my team was the only player for my team selected for the the league all-star team. And then I get to the all-star team and I go from being the best player on the team. And I thought somebody who should have played more on the league all-star team to somebody who got to play the minimum two innings. I hardly got to play. And what frustrated me most about that was that, I don't know, people are going to think I'm like sounding really pathetic here, calling on these memories from 10-year-old Little League Baseball. But what turned me off, and I've heard similar stories from other kids, you get nepotism involved. A lot of the volunteer coaches, they're inevitably somebody's dad. And the shortstop on this Little League All-Star team, I forget the, the kid's name. Dad's last name was Clark. I remember that much. This kid who was playing shortstop probably had the weakest arm on the team. 
And he was not very athletic. He should not have been starting. It wasn't just myself. There were about five other players who were on the bench and we were all better than this kid. And we were stewing on the bench because we could see we were better. We knew we were better. And you know who was playing across the league. You come against these guys throughout the regular season. And this guy's son, I don't remember him standing out at all. And yeah. here he is. Not only is he starting a shortstop, which in literally that's like one of your premier positions. You're, you're first base, you're pitching, you're shortstop. Nobody really plays in the outfield. You don't put your premier players in the outfield. Right. His kid's getting a premier position. And he's batting, I think, lead off or, or a second in the order. And he didn't do anything special with that. And all of us on the bench – we're just getting more and more frustrated. What the hell is going on here? This kid's only playing because his dad's the coach. Why is this happening? So I went from being somebody who was like totally in love with baseball to feeling like I should be playing more. I'm a good player. And what the hell is this? I'm being kept on the bench because of some kid's dad is playing him. And that's why I'm not getting opportunities. And I thought, well, if this is how it's going to be going forward, I don't want to mess around with baseball. This is ridiculous. This is, and it killed my enjoyment that, that one yeah. summer. I went from being so in love with baseball and it being everything I wanted to do to I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with it. You hear that story a lot in cricket with nepotism and other things holding people back who are very good players who all of a sudden you could say, oh, well, maybe mentally they weren't there. They, they should have just persevered and gone through this roadblock. But it, when you're a teenager, young kid, and you're not worldly, you haven't gone through all these life experiences, it can be crushing. And you don't know how to handle that kind of adversity sometimes. Yeah. And so your cousin, it sounds like this, in a sense, he encounters something where he's a very good player, best in the country at his age group. And then he gets graduates from that and he's not getting an opportunity. And I'm just curious, and I will probably talk about it with you a little bit later, when that happens and how frequently it happens, how much do you feel these kinds of things have wrecked junior development and just the overall development of a national team, whether it's cricket or any other sport, when these are the kinds of, th of things that are taking place that disrupt a career? Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's obviously been the, the frustrating part of, of uh, I guess, being involved with, with cricket in, in Canada and, and now to an extent, you know, North America. I think it's no different anywhere you go, uh, but I felt like uh, at many, at many times, at many, you know, periods of my cricket career here in Canada, it kind of at the highest level wasn't any different or, you know, maybe my AAA ice hockey minor, like my AAA minor league ice hockey team had a little bit more professionalism, organizational skill pathway than, you know, the, the, the national team of, of Canada at that time. And like, you know, it's like you, you nowadays you're able to, to open up and speak up about things and you see a bunch of things and everybody says, well, politics and that's how it goes. And unfortunately, that's kind of how it is nowadays. And it's, you know, whether it's the, the parent who's sponsoring the team, whose kid gets to play more, whether it's being a part of a certain uh, a certain cast, um, you know, and, and having support from 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 certain cultural backgrounds, being that that kid who's just not like. You know, I obviously went through that in, in my career for sure. I think again, uh, just being misunderstood was it was a huge thing, and and um, I definitely look to in my own coaching and players that I deal with, and anything that I'm involved with, I really try to eliminate that stuff. I really try to work now like hands on with players, where it's like, hey man, like I, you know, I'm not gonna judge you type thing. Like you know, I want you to be yourself. I want you to express yourself, and you should be able to. And like I said earlier 
all the professional sports teams, you know, in the IPL and all that, you look at who runs these teams, Kumar Sangakara, Ricky Ponting, you know, Mahela, guys like that who were uh, Morley, guys like that who just expressed themselves fully. Now, they're obviously very good at what they did, uh, but they're allowing their players within the IPL, even some of the young guys who I know a few guys who were playing in the IPL who, like, you know, it's great. You're able to just express yourself, be what you want to be and be who you want to be and and nobody's judging you. Everybody's just judging you based on your cricketing ability, which is how it should be. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of see a lot of that, I guess, resemblance of, of what happened within Cricket Canada, you know, with, with regards to sort of politics and, 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 uh, and nepotism, as you said. And I don't think it'll be very different. And hopefully it's not too, too damaging or, or too threatening to, to where the U.S. is in terms of cricket now, because I, I kind of just see a little bit of resemblance. Like, Canada, you know, qualified for 2003 World Cup, played it, 2007 World Cup, played it. And, and at that time, kind of noticed, like I was engulfed at that time as one of the players. So I kind of noticed a shift in governance, uh, those who are kind of running the board, those who are kind of coming into these quote unquote volunteer positions to sit on boards. And, you know, I guess when success is there and, and, and um, everybody wants to be a part of it, everybody wants to be involved but i think the where it go where that stuff goes wrong is when those uh individuals want to control it uh and i think that's that's where you know u.s cricket I, I would say has to be a little careful and canada cricket has to continue to be a little bit more diligent because you you do want to you do want to make sure that you can face those those hurdles and those challenges which is the multicultural backgrounds of some all the cricketers in the u.s and canada like it's not you know, for example, like for me, I'm going to Nepal. Every single player in the team is, is Nepali. So there's that pride of the flag, you know, that I kind of am privy to, to how the team sort of is. And, and, and there's, there's obviously hurdles and problems within every team. But, you know, it's, it's more centered to maybe the team, whereas, you know, these sort of multicultural issues are probably more centered towards, you know, the country and, 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 and what they have to deal with with that. So it, it is something that, you know, like... I'm the kind of guy like you know me very well. I kind of say it like it is, and and, and I'm, I've learned to be very diplomatic about it. But it is a real thing. So like I'm definitely not not saying anything that's that's not true, that's not factual. And 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 they are definitely hurdles that are going to be there, and will always stick around when you have different interests at large. So uh, it's it's unfortunate in our game. Like cricket's such a such a nice game, such a beautiful game that that these things come into play, but. There's those who who use it as an excuse a lot. There's those who, and, and I might be one of them. Like I have a lot of regrets. I think I should have played a lot more cricket for the national team. Not, not because of the pride of the country thing, because I really wanted to play against the teams that we were playing against. I really wanted to put myself against the competition that we were fortunate enough and lucky enough to, to be playing against. So uh, that that's for me is, is, is my regret in, in my career. And I do think that I was, you know, one of those guys who was definitely misunderstood and, and again, you've kind of called out some of my statistics and things that I kind of forgot about. And, and, and with everything, you know, in terms of numbers and statistics, I, I probably should have played more than five or six games for Canada. Uh, like I did, I went on a lot of tours, but I only played five or six games. So um, that just goes to show you, like, I'm a prime example of that. But now, like, it's like, I'm in a position now where I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm working with professional cricketers and, and international teams and, and franchise teams. And, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm there to, to share my story with these players about just being able to be uh, understood uh, and maybe give a couple of tips and tricks as to how to, to navigate oneself, especially at a young age, uh, to make sure that you don't get 
blacklisted, which is which is kind of uh, the case for a lot of a lot of good players, and that's a really unfortunate thing within our sport. But like I said, I don't think it's any different in in sports all over the world, and and that that's just kind of how it goes, right? You said it. It's uh, it's it's kind of the way of the world in some places. Just to wrap up my own story yeah. <laughs> not to go on too much but <laughs> the short stop <laughs> you have but, pictures but, you have pictures of that short stop I, i've got it. it's like oh, i can't Start. let it go i tell you what, what pissed me off about it was the fact that a couple years earlier now i had two older brothers both my older brothers played for the league all-star team they similarly went on the, the path to the little league world series trying to get there to williamsport and as this was happening in my age group for the little league for two years in a row, I was on a team. Now, I remember this guy. I'll never forget this guy, George Palazzi. Now, we called him Enrico Palazzo. It was a family joke. Enrico Palazzo out of the naked gun. So that was what we nicknamed him. George Palazzi was Enrico Palazzo. George Palazzi, his son Daniel, was on the team. And for two, I forget if it was two or three years in a row, George Palazzi in the league draft, I just happened to be on George Palazzi's team. And Daniel, same thing. I did not feel Daniel was a good player. Daniel did not make the league also team. But... Daniel was always getting first dibs, any opportunity. Daniel Palazzi always played ahead of me and ahead of a lot of other kids. And it's frustrated the hell out of me because I knew looking at my brothers, they were good enough to play for the league all-star team. I felt like I'm playing with them in the backyard every single day. And we go to the batting kids, we do all this other stuff. I feel like I'm just as good as them. And I just wasn't getting opportunities. So after three years of that nonsense, Daniel Palazzi finally graduates into the next age group. And I was then drafted by another coach. And that was the year I made my league all-star team and was going on the path. To, so I was like, oh, breath of fresh air. That, that season, I, I 10-year-old season, I was like, finally, I'm free. I can go play. I don't have to worry about this nonsense of some dad prioritizing his son ahead of me. I can go play. And I played, had my best season. And then I get to the league all-star team, and it's the same bullshit. Yeah. Somebody's dad has got his son prioritizing him giving him the first opportunity and i just thought i thought i escaped this and now it's the same shit all over again and if this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life i don't want any part of this i had enough of this nonsense when i was seven eight nine i thought i escaped it when i, I had my 10 year old season and then i get to the league all-star team and the cycle repeated itself and i just thought forget it that's, this that's why that's why i like golf man nobody on your team <laughs> No, no parents, no parents around. It's a tough sport, though. Yeah. You say that again. Uh, yeah, my, my daughter's getting into golf now. I'm thinking like, oh, it's, this is, I'm kind of talking, I'm thinking like, oh, of all the bullshit I've had to deal with in team sports, which I've enjoyed. Yeah, it'd, be, team sports. it'd be interesting. I wonder what comes in, what hurdles there are with regards to kids golf. I'm sure it's like somebody's, somebody's parents have sponsored this or that and they get a go or. Maybe that Palazzi's dad was like a mobster or something. <laughs> so nobody could say anything to him. Hey, man, Stella Pena, I can fight fire with fire on that one, man. <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me, Peter. <laughs> Back to the Bangladesh, uh, the under-9 World Cup, because this is your peak moment in junior cricket. Five for 29, which was in the plate group at this stage. You took the wickets of Nafiz Iqbal, Aftab Ahmed, Ashikur, Rahman, who was the captain. Mamadula, you said it. There's a guy, Mamadula, turned into a Bangladeshi legend, senior level. And Nadif Chowdhury, what do you remember most about that five-wicket hole? Oh, man. The uh, the Chittagong Stadium was full. 
there was like maybe 15, I would say 15, 20,000 people screaming. We batted first. We only made like 150 or 140 something. So didn't have much to go with. Um, but I was on that day for sure. All the variations, everything that I sort of planned kind of worked out. And um, once we had them, I feel like once we had them a few wickets down early and I was early in my spell, I got a few early wickets there and started to sledge, <laughs> started to sledge and put them under pressure big time. Uh, my cousin Abid was standing at first slip and uh, he actually took a, took a screamer, whichever guy was caught slip, caught Abid Akeshvani. That was Mamadoula, the one and yeah, only. Mamadoula, yeah. So that wicket, man, it was, uh, it was a quicker ball, like I suppose this quicker ball at, at, at some pace, I would say. And he, he nicked it and Abid took a one hand uh, over his head sort of diver and they were under pressure, but uh, whoever came and finished off the game for them, he came in and, and like literally first ball uh, he was plumbing front. Like there's no, it was like one of those where you're just like, how are you not, how, how is that not out? <laughs> so I, I ended up asking the umpire at least 10 times, like how was that not out? And he just ended up having no, no, no answer for me. Like, so I would have had six, I should have had six wickets. And whoever that guy was who ended up finishing it off there went on and, and obviously not out, but it was, uh, it was disappointing because uh, I think, I think had that guy had got given at that time, it was, I still had a few balls in my spell. Not that I would have taken another one, but I think that we would have been into their bowlers and it would have been interesting, but yeah, whatever. They managed to pull it off. And uh, yeah, I got a man of the match at that game and yeah, I had to sign so many autographs. I saw like security were just caning, guys and caning kids trying to get in through the fences and it was chaos actually so um it was a great experience for me at that time like there was army guys everywhere they would escort us and it was a big deal it wasn't too far uh post sort of 9-11 so all that stuff was on was on full throttle and um it was an experience for me where you know the it started i guess with the five wicket hall and the league thing where it kind of made my name and then the five wicket hall in the west Indies regional against barbados um, and, uh, and then obviously this, this five wicket haul in a, in a 19 world cup against a, a host nation, I guess it just gave me that sort of belief. Like, you know, you're, you're probably a, a decent player. You should pursue this cricket thing. And, and, uh, and I did, and, um, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I don't even know what I did with my skates and all my hockey equipment, but I didn't play hockey for many, many years, um, after that. So yeah, that was the, that was the start of, of a little bit of success. And, uh, um, it didn't go to my head I would say because I was already a cocky little guy anyway so it was just almost walking around like as if like yeah you know I, I was meant to do that so definitely confident and um, yeah won't forget that one ever my, my dad and my uncle were there as well for that so to have my dad there to be able to witness that with you know I spoke earlier about you know his sacrifices and what he sacrificed for for me in my life and um, that was a gift that uh that I, I really would never forget um, giving him. And, and I give a lot of credit to, to him and supporting my career at that time. And that was great. And Mamanoa, arguably, he's not the biggest wicket you took at that tournament. Last two scorecards, Ireland and Uganda. Ireland and the team with William Porterfield, Gary Wilson, Kevin O'Brien. Yeah, Who did yeah, you get out? Owen Morgan. Yeah, World Cup yeah. winning captain, Owen Morgan. You got him under yeah. your thumb, man. Take us through that wicket. Well, just remind me, like, what was it? Um, caught caught slip and bold. Caught and bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, he kind of smashed it, and, and I, you know, had pretty decent hands. I was a little athletic. I remember I remember catching that one, throwing it up. And, uh, I mean, you know, you, you play these under-19 tournaments, though, Peter. You don't know uh, Owen Morgan is going to be Owen Morgan, right? Like, you just kind of go through it and, and, um, and, and everything. But 
Ireland had a gun team as well. If you call out those names, uh, you know, Kevin O'Brien, Porterfield, um, uh, Owen Morgan, and, and just guys who, who, who played a pivotal role in, 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 uh, in making Ireland not only a successful ODI and uh, team, but then a test team. Like a lot of those guys played a huge role with that. And here's a funny thing, man, is like, you see all these teams, these under 19 teams and, and, you know, even Ireland, some of the associates, like you can even say Bangladesh at that time, like, you have these under 19 players in your system and they just played a world cup, but you don't like, I'm talking for Canada. Like after that, like none of the guys really got a goal except for uh, Omar Bati, who, who obviously went on and had a very successful career, but he wasn't the most successful under 19 player for us by any means. He just kind of got it right and had that left arm and, and, and managed to, to sort of sort himself out. But yeah, we never really had any opportunities in the senior team coming out of that. There was no real program for that. And um, you guys all know the, the, the story of what happened to, to Jeff Thomas, the national team coach in 2003. So there was no under 23 set up anymore. Um, so really nothing for us to, to thrive on and jump on, but yeah, they figured it out two years later and, you know, the Ravindus and the Hirals and then the Tish Kumars uh, a few years, three, four years later, got, got a lot of opportunities coming out of their under 19 setup. And obviously they went on to have amazing careers. So yeah, I mean, I know a lot of the guys, I speak to them even now, one of the guys, Gavin Bastian Palai, who's uh, who's an optima, what do you call it? Eye doctor, man, optician or ophthalmologist. So he's an ophthalmologist. Check me out. He said, I got 2020 vision because I was complaining. I couldn't see at night when I was driving, but he's like, you have 2020 vision. And I said, Gavin, thank you very much, man. I'm so happy I don't have to spend money on glasses and all this nonsense. So, uh, but he's another guy, you know, we had a quick chat about him. Just the regrets of not, not, not being given that platform, not being given that backing or support or even pathway after that world cup was was really disappointing for all of us and um i think a lot of the guys would have had pretty good careers had they given it had they had a chance but again that's how it goes and canada had a stack team at that time as well so you know i'm i'm like fighting for uh, uh john davison's spot basically right as a half spinner and all that so it's like you know i'm, I'm a realist as well man you got to be dominating um you know at all levels at all times and uh it just wasn't meant for me at that time john, john davison was pretty good it was all right. Took 17 wickets against USA <laughs> in an ICOM match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, USA has come a long way. Let's just say that. The other wicket, Davis Karashani, long time Uganda captain. That was your final wicket in the tournament. So uh, in the, within the associate sphere, well, it was Uganda, Ireland at the time, Test Nations. You took some big wickets. But the overarching theme, what you talked about, despite all this junior success, limited opportunities at senior level. You talked about it. You only played officially, looking here, five ODIs, two T20Is, two I-Cup matches for Canada, and then some other matches that were not classified as ODIs or T20Is yeah. at that point in time. Your last match made your debut officially in 2009 in ODIs against Scotland at Aberdeen, which is a very lowly ground. That's where Don Bradman played his yes. last match, I believe. Yeah, correct. I've been Aberdeen. There's a lot of stuff there about Bradman. If anybody's ever visited that ground, which you have, yeah, obviously. Beautiful ground. Uh, then your last match came in the winless tour of Scotland in the 2015 T20 World Cup qualifier against Oman. That was your final appearance for Canada. So just a handful of matches spread across six years, essentially. One of the things I find fascinating about players who have had your kind of career at senior level, for whatever reason – and we talked about a lot about those reasons, what the yeah. obstacles were and the lack of promotion of grassroots talent, homegrown talent. If you're really trying to make this sport uh, a mainstream sport in a place like Canada, in spite of all that, 
I find a lot of successful coaches are in your position because they weren't the best or they weren't given the best opportunities. And so they're able to empathize a hell of a lot more with players who are going through the exact scenarios that you are. Not everybody's going to be the leading scorer in their country's history, but a hell of a lot of players are going to be dropped quite yep. a number of times, have to fight for recalls. It's part of why you got the dropped again name for the podcast. Dropped yeah. again. You've been through that whole merry-go-round time and time again. And I'm just curious for you, all, of all the things that you went through over the course of your career, in, in particular, the long tours where you didn't get to play, where you were riding the bench <laughs> and briefly called in and then straight back to the bench, what do you feel will give you the best way of connecting and communicating with players, whether it's with this Nepal setup that you're now a part of or any other coaching setup or strength and conditioning work that you've done with other athletes that you feel makes you best able to connect with athletes in order to become a really good coach? Yeah. So like you said, it like there's, there's two sides, man. There's the empathetic side where it's like, you know, I kind of feel your, I feel your pain and, you know, I kind of went through, but the other side of it is like those guys who are, who, who want things really easily as well. Right. So I'm, I'm very, again, I'm very transparent, very realistic, uh, kind of say it like it is like, you know, a lot of the times I, I have to convey messages, which are for me, the easiest to just say like, Hey, listen, you know, like right now you're not good enough for this spot. And, and this guy is actually performing better. So he's, he's the reason. And, and on the other side of that, it's like, you know, you, you like, for example, when I, I coach uh, the Titans uh, franchise in the major U S tournament, so U S open and, and the recent Houston open and, you've got guys in your team who are professional players that have, you know, resumes, uh, the ass and, and only 11 guys can play on a squad of 18 professional guys. Only 11 guys can play. So here I am in the position now where I have to inform some guys that you're not playing this game. You're not drop. You're just not playing this game. And that, like that, how you approach it and look at it is for me, very realistic and professional. You might as well just say it because there's no right way to say it. And I think some of the things that I've learned is, saying things like, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, so-and-so has to miss out today and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to get a chance in the games coming up. And, and, and that's the, just the reality of it, right? Like if somebody's performing well and they have a spot, you, you got to be realistic with the player. You got to let them know sort of what their role is and what sort of role you're looking at them to do and, and how, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, you know, what, what do I got to do to get in the team? What do I got to do to get in the team? It's like, I was doing everything I could. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm winning most runs of, in the domestic cricket every year. I'm taking wickets. I'm proving to be a, a dominant force and winning matches on my own hand year after year. How come I'm not getting a chance? How come I didn't play more ODIs? How come I didn't get to play in a World Cup? So I don't really have too much sympathy with that, right? Like, I mean, you want to play. I think that spot is just going to become yours if you really dominate in your role. And a lot of things have to go your way. Like it's luck, it's opportunity, it's timing. When you're going to actually play well you know who's watching who's your dad (laughs) um things like that right like uh, there's just so many factors there but uh i i I, you know i like the realistic approach now and the best thing for that was is franchise cricket when franchise cricket started coming out like again we're all watching ipl we all watch like pat Cummins sitting there with his bib on we are watching uh you know stars international stars sitting there with their bibs on not playing so you got to take it on the chin. That's my advice. Anyone listening, you got to take it on the chin. You got to keep working hard. And even if you do work hard, even if you do think you belong there, even if you are being blacklisted or shunned or whatever, like that's how it is. So you got to just kind of 
roll with those punches. And if it's meant for you, it's meant for you. And if it's not, you know, like try not to try not to dwell on it too much. There's, uh, there's many other cool things about life than, than, than being picked to play, uh, to play cricket. But again, that's, that's just the way it goes. There's, there's no real sugar coating that I would do now uh, or the way that I go about my business um, because of how and what I went through and also just how I think about it as a realistic, uh, you know, sports person. Like that's how it goes. Strength and conditioning. You're in that background now. That's, that's your official title. You've done a lot of that inside and outside of cricket, a lot outside of cricket, and then leading back into cricket to where you are now with the Nepal team. So part one of this question, how did you get into strength and conditioning as a background? And what have you learned from dealing with athletes in other sports that made you feel like there is some value that you have to offer in cricket, especially in a part of the cricket ecosystem where the strength and conditioning in the associate world really has not been seen as a necessary role in the past. And it's only really in the last couple of years where associate teams, whether through increased funding or just an increased desire to elevate their standard of professionalism that they're starting to take it seriously to the extent that they will hire somebody like you in a full-time role. This goes back to when I played hockey, uh, AAA hockey. Like I had a personal trainer, a lot of guys in my team had personal trainers. Strength and conditioning was something that was very high on our off season list. You know, we had booklets and things that we had to follow from that age. So I fell in love with it at that age. So yeah, I studied kinesiology. And when, when, um, when I was playing cricket for Canada, even in those tours that I'd be going on, you know, I was always passionate about, about fitness. Um, so I do a lot of research. I do a lot of watching. And once YouTube came out, it became my thing. And, and, and I was really engulfed in that. So I studied it for sure. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to like start actually like training clients um, at the age of 21. So at that time, I was training a lot of guys who uh, were sort of on the cusp, like minor league hockey players who were in my situation playing AAA hockey and trying to make it and get drafted. And I ended up getting a lot of clients that way just through those those roads and those avenues. And so like a lot of my training, like strength and conditioning experience is, is just pure ice hockey. Um, and it translates so well into cricket, like we talked about before, just being so, you know, explosive and, and sort of hip dominant. And, you know, with all the years that have gone by, like, you know, I started when I was 21, um, turning 38. So I do have, you know, 15 plus years experience dealing with all kinds of athletes, uh, even all kinds of regular Joes and, 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 uh, and regular moms and everything in between. So those experiences have just allowed me to get more clients, more people in front of me, more, more issues with mobility, more, more issues with, uh, with needing actual, like someone actually having a tear and needing some, some surgeries or needing to actually go to the next step. So, you know, that for me is, is kind of what carried me to where I am. You know, I've done a lot of certifications. I've done a lot of workshops. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in, in, in strength and conditioning. So I just recently did my, my specialist international specialist course and, and I continue to, to do uh, the educational side of things, right? Like I'm still really passionate about it. I'm still really into it. And, you know, to your point, like not just associate cricket, Peter, like cricket as a sport, as a whole um, is quite behind in the realms of strength and conditioning. Um, if you look at what they're doing with hockey, like I, I've trained a few NHL players. I've trained, you know, guys who are in the AHL and on the cusp and, the, the modernization of strength and conditioning, even what I do in, in my personal gym is from what I see, you know, a little bit uh, ahead, ahead of where uh, the world of cricket is relative to, to S&C and strength and conditioning. But 
that's why I'm so excited is to just kind of bring my, what I think is, is a, is a cricket specific sort of uh, philosophy now that I've, that I've taken it on full time with, with regards to cricket. And I'm excited to sort of implement that and more so see the, I guess the effects of that, right. I want to see the results of that. And I think this opportunity with Nepal cricket is cool. Cause again, these guys are really hardworking. It's, it's a system that Pubudu was built. So you know that there's a lot of discipline there. There's a lot of respect there. Uh, and the most important thing for me, which is what excites me the, the, the most, sorry, is, is just the professionalism and, and, and now being in a role where it's like, yeah, I get to implement the whole program for the guys and, and, and actually look at each player as an individual and set up programs for them individually and sort of work with that team as we go and, and, uh, and enjoy and, and be able to measure some of the success. So, you know, it's a long-winded, uh, long-winded question. Like I could literally talk about strength and conditioning relative to cricket all day and if you guys, uh, or if you follow me on my IG, I, I tend to do a little bit of that as well. Um, apart from obviously training clients while I'm here and just still being uh, engulfed in a few businesses, etc. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, strength and conditioning, I think is a game changer for cricket. Like if you watch IPL and just the way the game is now, uh, I think like today, Liam Livingston hit uh, a six that went 117 meters. I would probably say in the next two to three years, I'm calling it even shorter, that uh, 120 meter sixes will be, will be a norm. So that's an exciting thing for the game. I think on the opposite side, you know, somebody who bowls 150 clicks, the amount of things that need to go right in your body, uh, the luck that you need to have just to, to sort of, you know, stay injury free when running in and doing that uh, is tough. But there's so many more, there's so many advanced uh, sort of techniques and advanced things going on in, in strength and conditioning. And um, you can only expect to see athletes more explosive, more powerful, faster, as I say, bigger, stronger, faster, right? And we're seeing that in, in sports all over, uh, all over the world. So you can expect, you know, cricket to become really entertaining and interesting. And, uh, and I just hope that they keep, they keep the 50 over format around and they don't just go T10, T10, because, um, Otherwise, it's just basically like a home run derby. And as cool as it is to see 120 meter six, it's also cool to see a guy come in four or five down, spend 70 balls getting 50, and then maybe in the next 30 balls, he can get another 50 and get 100 off 100. That There's nothing more fascinating than that uh, for me. And so, yeah, there's a lot of ODI cricket coming up for Nepal, and it's a, it's a format that is a heavy focus for them. It's a super exciting role for me, man. I'm, 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 I've been obviously looking forward to it for a while now. And I think um, I'm definitely qualified and, and just anxious to get going with that and, and, and another learning and, and growing uh, experience for me. Just one more quick follow-up to that before the favorite 11. Recent trend, you touched on it in sports, guys are getting bigger, stronger, faster, but in very subtle ways. You look at mm -hmm. what's going on in baseball. There's more pitchers who are throwing 100 mile per hour pitches on a consistent basis than at any point in history usually in the past, even as recent as 10, 15 years ago, you might have a handful of guys who were throwing hundred miles an hour who could even hit it. And then you got somebody like Jacob DeGrom for the Mets who was throwing 25, 30, 35 pitches in a 80 pitch appearance that are exceeding hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And he's not a big guy. You look at him, he's, he's not a Hulk by any stretch, very lean muscle. And you talked about, you know, bowlers who are consistently a lot more bowlers now bowling 145, 150. You look at the guy like uh, Umran Malik uh, with Sunrisers, who doesn't look like a big guy, but he's doing something with his training, conditioning his training that's allowing him to consistently hit 150 on the speed gun in the IPL. And a guy like Liam Livingston, again, not the biggest guy, 
he's not Chris Gale. He, he doesn't have rippling muscles, but you look at somebody like him, Glenn Maxwell, obviously they're doing something with their training that they're not building. You know, it's, it's not looking like the steroid era of baseball where guys like Brett Boone and, and some of these other guys just had absurd muscles bursting out of their chest, Martin McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and all that kind of stuff. The cricketers who were doing the training and other sports, baseball, John Carl Stan, you could look at him. He's a big dude. He's physically built big, but he, he's not like Popeye muscles, you know, where he needs to cut holes in his shirt. So what in your eyes is the number one thing that has shifted in terms of the habits to allow players, whether it's cricket, baseball, ice hockey, other sports, to allow them to be stronger, quicker, more efficient with their training and better producing on the field of play. And what do you think is the biggest misconception about strength and conditioning that has held that back over the years in cricket in particular from being able to be encouraged and get guys in the, whether it's the weight room or just other sorts of training to allow them to be better tuned athletes? Yeah, I think the misconception um, if you look at, you know, strength and conditioning, and I'm just going to speak to, I guess, the subcontinent backgrounds, right? Because if you look at England and New Zealand and Australia, you know, they've been lifting weights. They've been on the realms of, of S&C for a long time. But in a, from a subcontinent perspective, that misconception is, you know, you know, I don't want my son to go to the gym and lift weights because he's, he's going to make him short. And that you're talking about, like, literally from the grassroots is what you can relate and, and, and sort of it trickles up, right? Which is why we're so behind and they're so behind is that it's taken them so long to be convinced that like, no, like, you know, lifting weights and resistance training, you know, all it'll do is just make you stronger, right? Like if you kind of dumb it down. And so uh, I think now that the doors are open to the strength and conditioning coaches who you now see within franchise cricket, um, strength and conditioning coaches that associate nations are hiring, you know, why it's so important is, is what has changed about sport overall, which is just the focus on the, the, the more of the facets of strength and conditioning, which actually involve a lot of mobility and stability work. You see like injuries and like, what's the job? Like, what's my job, right? Like in a cricket realm where like these guys are playing year round. So there's really no quote unquote off season where we can go and hit weights and build muscle and build strength. It's like, if I'm doing my job, it means like, the players are not getting injured. They're not getting soft tissue injuries, right? Like you break a leg, you break a bone whatever, like that's bad luck. That's how it goes. But how do we, you know, prevent soft tissue injuries? How do we keep you best player guy on the field? Right. Cause that is basically, you know, the job of, of, of an S and C that's what, you know, they hire you for. They want to make sure that the players are there. So my philosophies on that, like, you know, I, I focus a lot on, on mobility work and stability work and sort of rehab uh, when it comes to these athletes and the, the conditioning part, the strength part, you have to build in so many facets for cricket and it makes it difficult, right? Like you look at a guy like Andre Russell who comes, and, you know, bowls 145, smashes it 100, 100 plus meters. But like, if you see him diving around in the field on the boundary, throwing around that big body, being able to dive around, stand up, get up and throw it right over the keeper's gloves every time and not get injured. Now he's gone through injuries, but if you look at his injury rehab process and how they've sort of modified his program to be a lot more well-rounded when it comes to like, he's working with professional guys from the Dallas Cowboys, I believe. And that's translating through his strength and conditioning coach with Kolkata who, who attends those sessions in Dallas. So that strength and conditioning coach gets to learn from some, from some, from some guys as well. So no, that's just kind of, you know, where, where the, this just the whole sort of well-rounded realm of, of fitness um, and strength and conditioning and where it's going 
um, is just in that direction where I think athletes are able to explore a little bit more. They're, they're able to get a little bit more out of their bodies just by kind of feeding into some of the things that they might be deficient with uh, a lot of muscle imbalances. So, you know, just really quickly cricket as a, is a very, very anterior dominant sport, right? Like we're always in that squat position. We're always in that lunge position cricketers that bench press a lot. Does it really make sense in that realm or does it make sense to sort of work on the muscles in the body that we're not using as much? So there's more of a balance there because that's how you see guys get injured where there's a lot of imbalances in their bodies because they're obviously dominant in one area. Uh, you really want to make sure that you're balancing things out. So, you know, for me, I do a lot of single arm and single leg work, a lot of unilateral work. And my major focus is on stability and, and mobility. And you'll see that in a lot of professional SNCs uh, across sports worldwide. That's sort of the focus of what they do. And, you know, once an athlete is, is able to fire on, on those cylinders, then obviously, yeah, building strength is, is something that's definitely in the uh, on the cards and what I do for sure. And, and, you know, from a, from a conditioning perspective, same thing. Uh, but the hardest part about cricket, I think is the recovery side. You know, when you, you have an ODI series, you have one day off. Um, it's or no tough. days off. If you look at the schedule, or, or, so there's yeah. some back-to-backs. Yeah. Um, even T20 is like T20 is a very high octane game. Um, you may not be involved in the game, you know, we may not have got runs that day or we may not have bowled four overs that day, but just being on the field and every ball being switched on and the demands and the, and the weather, sometimes the humidity type thing. So it's the recovery side. So, you know, from, from strength and conditioning to nutrition, to recovery, to treatment, uh, physios, RMTs, how important they are, um, how important sleep is, how important, you know, what you eat night is. So, you know, just adding all those things. And again, all it's doing is giving a player an athlete, one percent chance of getting a little bit better right like if you can if you can sleep that extra hour and really get into your seven eight hours that you need to recover if you can go from six hours and get that eight hours is that one percent better that's going to be one percent better same thing with the nutrition same thing with how you train same thing with your routines in the morning so that's that's where it's heading that's where it's headed that's what i do that's what i'm going to implement uh with the nepal team that's what i implement in anything that i do is just sort of this this modern age and modern era of, of strength and conditioning, which is, in my opinion, not so much the, the brute force of, of lifting weights to a degree where like, hey man, you, you're not really lunging or squatting properly. I'm not sure that you should put 100 kilos on the bar and, and squat. So just because that's what it says in your in your program, right? Like it's, it's you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a nice position where I get to be hands-on, like I'm a hands-on guy. So it's about being able to teach these guys uh, and work with them and their bodies. And, and it's over time, right? You can't, <laughs> this is something that you need to be consistent with. So uh, I'm interested and, and I'm looking forward to educating on that side. Uh, and then again, obviously the hands-on work and, and more, more than that, just learning, right? Learning and growing with the guys. If I can learn some stuff from them, they can learn some stuff from me. Then we're growing as a team. And uh, yeah. Favorite 11 time, Shahid Keshvani. Here we go. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour. Marty Kane. Oh, wow. The San Diego surfing Marty Kane. Legend of a guy, man. Uh, huge respect for him. He's a beauty. I'll quick, really quick. I know it's a quick fire, but so every night we were in uh, Houston. So every night I'd go out, I'd come home you know, later. Marty's in early, he goes to sleep early or whatever, but you know, those little hotel, like those little flashlights that they put on if you're like reading a book or whatever. So every night I'd come in late, like maybe a little bit in the bag and that little flashlight was just pointing on my pillow. So I'd know how to get in. And so Marty Kane, legend. Um, big shout out to him. I, I got a lot of respect for him. He's a great guy. 
favorite way to spend a 14-hour flight to or from Dubai or on your way to Nepal or back from Nepal to Canada into the U.S.? Uh, so I'm a huge mafia movie guy. So um, I'll probably watch Godfather at least one and two. I'll probably watch uh, A Bronx Tale. I'll probably watch Gotti and uh, maybe Donnie Brasco. Seriously. No Goodfellas? Come on. No, like maybe Goodfellas, but it's not my favorite out of the ones that I said. <laughs> For people who can't see this, you've got quite a lot of tattoos. Your favorite tattoo. Uh, it's hard to kind of show you, uh, but there's, oh, maybe you could see that there. So if you guys follow me on IG, like my, uh, my idol is Bruce Lee. A lot of his philosophies uh, on life, uh, a lot of his disciplines and stuff are, are really important to me. So I have a tattoo, which you can see here, and it's Bruce Lee and Mike Tyson kind of fighting as if they were going to have a fight. Yeah, Tyson just kind of represents the, the grit and that sort of beast mode meme mentality about me. And, and, and Bruce Lee has that sort of calm, flow like water sort of reminder for me. But uh, Bruce Lee is, is my guy. He's, 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 uh, he's definitely helped me through a lot mentally and physically in my life. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player? I would have to say that would be the Nairobi Gymkhana. I have played there, uh, I've trained there, and uh, just because of how close it is to, to my dad and, and, and his career, um, obviously Kenya is like, has the best food, hands down, barbecue, if you've ever been to Africa. So that was the main thing there is like they're always kind of serving you good food. It's a great facility. The wicket is flat as you can imagine. Um, and just the vibes around there, being around, I guess, my own people, uh, I had the best experience at Nairobi Gymkhana for sure. Favorite cricketer of all time? Favorite cricketer of all time, without a doubt, is uh, Sachin. I think just the, the way that he was way ahead of his time, just how good he looked batting. I'd have to say Sachin, but very close, uh, very close second place would be Ricky Ponting. Favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? I'd probably say Leo Messi. Uh, I know it's a very generic, everybody likes Leo Messi, but I did follow him um, coming out of the, the, the academy there at Barcelona. Uh, so that whole Iniesta, Xavi, uh, Messi time uh, when they were playing for Barcelona, I really liked the, the football or soccer that they played. Uh, the tiki-taka style, I thought that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And, and I missed that a lot. So uh, Messi, who's coming to the end of his career, um, is definitely my favorite non-cricketing athlete. I was waiting for you to say Wendell Clark or Matt Sundin or Felix Poffin or Ty <laughs> Domi, Ty Domi, Austin Matthews, a Maple Leaf. No, no love for the Leafs. Okay, so favorite uh, favorite hockey player of all time, like Wayne Gretzky, like, um, and these are all like the best guys, but like Wayne Gretzky, the way he would pass the puck without looking, the the again guys who are just way ahead of their time, guys who are just so disgustingly dominant you know, really catch my eye. And so like Gretzky, it would be at the top of that list as well. You know, no bitterness about what happened in game seven and 93 with Wendell Clark. <laughs> hey, listen, the Leafs just won game one yesterday. So if we can come out of round one here, we're doing all right. I'm happy with that. Your favorite place to eat out on tour away from home. Yeah. So like in Dubai, um, they have these places and they're called Monday. It's called Monday. So you go and uh, you, you got to like sit on the floor. You got to eat with your hands, but they'll bring you this like big dish. It's like lamb that's been cooking there all day and rice. Um, and you kind of sit around the guys. You have to sit on the floor. Uh, the food is delicious. And just the whole vibe of, there's just something about sitting on the floor, kind of eating with your hands, getting into the whole roots of it. And, and, and so anytime you're in Dubai or places like that, 
look up these, these places called Mundi where you can go and kind of eat with your hands and get involved in, into the culture side of it. It's, uh, it's amazing. I love that. So I'm always looking forward. Anytime I go to Dubai, that's the thing that I want to do. Favorite beverage, any kind? I'm a huge cider guy. So beers, but, but ciders that are really dry. When I was in Seattle, uh, working with, uh, with major league cricket there, um, I had a chance to go to quite a few breweries and, and, uh, I've obviously been around too. So cider, definitely, uh, especially the different ones, the pear ones, you can get different flavored ones, but you know, they all have to be really dry. So, you know, literally three grams or, or two grams of sugar or less. So the really, really dry cider with a little bit of ice in it. Favorite. Favorite pizza topping. Mushrooms. Favorite movie of all time. Uh, you ran through some mob ones before. What, what's the favorite if you had to pick one? Yeah, so Godfather is definitely the, my, my favorite movie. Um, just the code, the mafia code, and just everything around that, I think, is uh, it really sort of resonates with me. And a uh, very close second is a movie called Gotti, but not the one with John Travolta. It's the one with um, Armand Asante. Oh, I knew you were going to say it's the HBO original movie, Armand Asante. Yeah, Gotti, yeah. Yep. And like, it's funny because you can't find. You can't find that gaudy on any of the things, Netflix, whatever. I know you guys in the US, you might have more access, but even when I was there, I couldn't find it. You can't find a Bronx tale and you can't find the movie Slapshot. So those are, those are three movies that uh, are my favorite movies of all time. And you can't find them on any of the platforms. No, go figure. Favorite Finn show to watch on any streaming platform or DVD box set? What's your go-to? So it's a show called The Wire. Uh, an HBO show called The Wire. Um, it's about, you know, Baltimore's, I guess, culture when it comes to five different perspectives. So each season has a different, each uh, each season has a different perspective. And I would highly recommend it's on HBO. It's always available to watch. It's called The Wire and you should watch seasons one through five. For anybody who hasn't seen The Wire, Michael K. Williams as Omar Little, the gay Baltimore drug dealer, is one of the greatest TV roles, most underappreciated TV roles of all time. This show is probably a little bit more well-known for Idris Elba. That was his breakout role and as Stringer Bell. And then there's Avon Barksdale. There's some other characters in there that make the show great. But for me, Omar Little, you got just got to watch the show. It's hard to describe what you, you talked about. It. It's about Baltimore and the drug scene and police and uh, all sorts of stuff. But if you haven't, it's, it's one of the all-time great shows, whether it's HBO in there with the Sopranos and Game of Thrones or any other show for that matter, The Wire. Great recommendation, Shady. That's a great way to cap off the favorite 11. So I'll give you the final word, Shady. This is your chance now. Say whatever you want to say that you want people to know about you that you haven't already said that you think they should know about you and your cricket journey. I got to say it like that. Um, I really like those who reach out to me about fitness, cricket. Like, There's no like dumb questions. So I think a lot of people are maybe intimidated to just reach out and be like, I'm having an issue with this or that. Like I, uh, I love to help uh, people. I love to share my knowledge. And, um, you know, so just to everyone who's got any sort of questions about strength, conditioning, rehab, injury, whatever, uh, don't be afraid to, to reach out. I might not get back to you right away, but I do, uh, I do definitely get back. And yeah, man, like I got like county players, uh, players who play Ranji Trophy um, and like club cricketers in Trinidad. So like there's players, people from all over the world who, who reach out to me a lot and, that's the beauty about what I do. So I just encourage people to, to reach out to me um, with regards to those things. And uh, so that I can, I can at least point you in the right direction. If, if obviously I won't be able to do any hands-on work with you. So um, I'm obviously very passionate about what I do and, 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 and very dedicated and very hardworking. And I think, you know, I just want to, you know, obviously thanks for having me on and being able to, to share my story. I know a lot of the 
the under 19 stuff brought back a lot of cool memories and that. And uh, when it's on paper and the stats are there, it doesn't, they don't lie. Right. Mr. Mr. Della Pena will tell you that um, for free. So, uh, and also, man, I've always been a fan of you. Love your work. Obviously quick info is, is something that everybody strives to be on and, uh, and, and read and look at it's the pinnacle of cricket. So um, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. And for people who haven't listened to it, Dropped Again podcast. It's oh, mainly yeah. focused about Canadian cricket, but you've got a lot of other guests. You've had some West Indian guests and some Indian guests and even some recent yep. guys through MLC. Uh, Harmeet Singh was one of the recent episodes and that yep. along with a lot of other guests must listen. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It's on my uh, download list and Dropped Again podcast. You can get it on usual places online and your Instagram handle. You said people reach out to you. I'm not on Instagram, but for the people who are, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, yeah, so my Instagram handle is 360 shady so it's 360 shady um you kind of type that in or just type my name shady keshvani you'll definitely find me and add me i'll add you back and um again like hit me up with any sort of things and uh questions and stuff about cricket shady thanks again for coming on the stars and stripes cricket podcast thanks again buddy my thanks again to Shahid Keshvani for coming on the podcast. You can keep following him, as he said, on Instagram. He's more than open and willing to share all of his knowledge. I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to the podcast on YouTube if you're looking for the latest episodes on the video version or alternatively the audio version on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, and other podcasting outlets. And also a big thank you to all the Patreon supporters. For as little as $3 a month, you can help support the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast being produced on an episode by episode basis so by all means if you haven't already done so and you have not yet become a patriot for the podcast go to patreon.com to sign up today and there's all sorts of benefits that come along with it that's it for this episode i'm peter delpenner reminding everybody god bless america and god bless american cricket